Hi, I'm Father Dave Dwyer, Executive Director of Busted Halo Ministries and host of the Busted Halo Show, from which you're about to hear an excerpt. But before we play the clip, give me just a moment to invite you to join with us. This is the time of year that we ask you who enjoy the content on BustedHalo.com and through these podcasts and perhaps listening on the radio show to become partners with us in mission as we reach out to so many more people who find themselves distant from God, who may not even darken the doorstep of a church, but whom we can reach through this technology. And you can help us do that. You can help us reach even more people with your monthly donation as a member of our Halo Repair crew. It is so helpful for us as a nonprofit who struggles to raise funds to have reliable sources of income that we can accurately budget for every month throughout the year. And right now, because we are in the bicentennial year of the birth of the founder of the Paulist Fathers, my religious community that I've pledged my life to, we invite you to consider giving in multiples of 200, maybe if your means allow, $200 a month. I would be extremely grateful. Or imagine the many other things that you pay 10, 15, $20 a month for, whether it's Netflix or how much money you spend on Starbucks or whatever, and ask yourself, is this ministry as valuable to you as that or as valuable to someone else as that? For more information about some of the thank you gifts we have for you or to become a member of our Halo Repair crew, simply go to bustedhalo.com slash join today. And if you're not able at this time to become a monthly supporter, thank you anyway for the ways in which you spread the word about Busted Halo Ministries. Okay, now it's time to enjoy a clip from the Busted Halo Show. We're pleased to welcome back friend of the show, Sister Helen Prejean. She is a member of the Congregation of St. Joseph and author of the number one national bestseller, Dead Man Walking. For more than three decades, she has ministered to death row inmates and has accompanied six people to execution. She is known around the world for her tireless work to abolish the death penalty and has been instrumental in shaping even the way the Catholic Church articulates our teaching on the subject. She joins us tonight to discuss her new memoir, River of Fire, My Spiritual Journey. Welcome back to the Busted Halo show sister helen prejean i'm glad to be here how are you i haven't seen you in a while i am good you haven't seen me you still don't see me be on the radio i know how it works we're looking at pictures of you (laughs) (laughs) it is only with the heart that one can see rightly you have a good heart you can see me oh there you go well that's why i'm seeing you again that's good what have you been up to obviously writing a memoir but uh what's been going on what's been keeping you busy well, uh, the book's on tour now, so I've been in Miami, I've been in St. Louis, been in churches, been in libraries, and getting the book out. <laughs> so I have a great partnership with Random House. They've done all my books. They did Dead Man Walking, they did Death of Innocence, and now they've done The Spiritual Journey. And I've just learned from all the dialogue about the death penalty how important it is to get Jesus right. Father Dave, you can't believe the number of people who say, I'm pro-life, but I'm for the death penalty, because they say they're for innocent life, but not guilty life. And that was the heart of my dialogue with Pope John Paul II. And when I got a chance to dialogue with him, which I did through a letter, and I said, Your Holiness, does the Catholic Church only uphold the dignity of innocent life? Because you hear a lot of Catholics saying this. And when I'm walking with a man to execution, and he's shackled hand and foot, and he's surrounded by six guards, and they're going to walk him down this hallway and strap him down and kill him, and he kind of turns to me, and he says, Sister, please pray God holds up my legs. Where is the dignity in taking a human being and making him defenseless and in a premeditated way killing him? 
When we have another way to keep society safe, we have prisons. Can you help the Catholic Church strengthen its opposition to the death penalty? And Pope Mm -hmm. John Paul was one of the popes that made a big difference in turning the dialogue. And in St. Louis, when he was there, was the first pope to say, you know, he mentioned all the other life issues that Catholics support against abortion, against physician-assisted suicide, euthanasia, and then he said a no to the death penalty because it's cruel and unusual. And he added, even those among us who have done a terrible crime have a dignity that must not be taken from them because the traditional teaching of the Church has always been to defend society. When you look at Thomas Aquinas, 12th century, even Augustine back in the 5th century, it was to defend society. They didn't have prisons. They had violent people. So they gave the state the right to take life. But now that you have prisons, and then that very act of rendering the person defenseless and then purposefully killing them is a moral act that could no longer be sustained. So Pope John Paul did... The change first in St. Louis in 99, and then on August 2nd, 2018, you had Pope Francis finishing it off, saying the Catholic Catechism. See, things change because of dialogue that happens throughout the church. This dialogue about the death penalty in the church has gone on for 1,600 years. Yeah. But dialogue is the way the Spirit works in us. Well, and uh, even this summer, there were those calling out uh, Pope Francis and saying, oh, he's going against the longstanding teaching of the church because Aquinas said this and all that sort of thing, calling Pope Francis like veering from tradition by being so uh, so strong and calling the death penalty immoral. And yet you said we got to get Jesus right, Sister Helen. Yeah, that's right. Do you know how many people I've met in the death penalty debate who actually say things like this? A senator in Wyoming just said it four months ago. She voted to defeat the repeal of the death penalty because she said this. If Jesus hadn't been executed by the the Romans, we wouldn't be saved from our sins. It's just God. It's for the death of people and for the execution of people. (laughs) I mean, what kind of God is that? And then you have Catholics saying that too. And it's interesting what they're saying about tradition Well, it used to be the church supported slavery, but then you have the experience of Christians. They're the ones like in, I think of New Orleans, they had a big auction block right in Jackson Square, New Orleans, right alongside where St. Louis Basilica is. So just picture. So it's the law that you can have slavery. Okay, so here people are, they go to Mass in St. Louis Basilica. They come out, and maybe there's a woman who's passing by that auction block, and she happens to see a mother separated from her children. The children are bought by one plantation owner. She's bought by another, and the husband by yet another. And she sees that, and her heart is moved because she knows, oh, my God, what if that happened to me? And compassion is possible. So we as Christians are out there, and we have experiences, as I have with the death penalty, and that experience bubbles up in conversation, directly in dialogue with the gospel of Jesus. So we came to a point in the church where we no longer supported slavery because we could see the effects that it was having on people. The same thing has happened with the death penalty. So when people just absolutize tradition, 
they're going against the Gospels and that the Holy Spirit's in our heart and we're always moving toward, Vatican II says we're a pilgrim church. We're always moving toward truth and we don't get it right all at once. It took 1,600 years on the death penalty issue. Sister Helen Prejean is our guest here on the Busted Halo Show. We are talking about her new book, River of Fire, My Spiritual Journey, during which you talk about uh, when you were, uh, as a, a young sister, uh, when you first joined the Congregation of St. Joseph in the 1960s, you saw a lot going on with Vatican II, with how the world was changing, with people protesting the Vietnam War. How did this affect you as kind of a someone new in religious life? Well, it was, I mean, nuns, you can't find a, a, a more of a devoted group in the Catholic Church that embraced the changes in Vatican II, because Vatican II did so much for us as a church. It was the first ecumenical council that was not called to condemn some heresy or other. It was solely called to open us up to see how God was moving in the world, not to see the world as a bad place. So when I entered the convent in 1957, and I left my family home, and I describe all this in the book, in River Fire, about getting in the car in Baton Rouge, my trunk packed, driving away from my home in Baton Rouge, that I was never going to step in that home again, taking the words of Jesus when you leave home, you know, you don't put your hand on the floor and look back. And so it, when Vatican II came and told us, and we were separated from lay people in the Catholic school, we didn't eat with lay people, nuns had different bathrooms, we were semi-cloistered. So then we became human again. We looked again at the Gospels. This is what Vatican II told us to do. Go back to your roots, why were you founded in history? Go back to the Gospels. And then look at the needs of the world and live the gospel according to the needs you see in the people. And that's what nuns did. And Vatican II introduced us as Catholic to the Bible, to Scripture. We never read Scriptures. We always just quoted Catholic teaching. So it got us back to the Gospels. It got us back to the study of Scripture. And as nuns, we revamped our life according to the Gospels again, and going back to the very root of our founding in France, which was to be an apostolic order that combined contemplation and prayer with going out on the streets and serving people. And the reason we changed the habit was the reason in 1650 that the nuns, in being an apostolic order to serve the people, dressed in the widow's garb, uh, and that was that black habit with the veil. It was the way widows dressed, because they were the only women who could go out unaccompanied by men. So we, we adopted the garb of the widows, and it stuck for 300 years. So we're going, and what does it mean to live in the modern world today? Jesus didn't dress in Son of God dazzling white clothes. Like, you know, that's why we don't have the habit. It's not just because habits were uncomfortable but we dress like the people of the day, but we meet the needs of people. And that's how I got to death row, because it was an unfolding, unfurling thing of you meditating on the Gospels, you seeing how you call. In my book, River Fire, I was 40 years old before I woke up that the radical Gospel of Jesus was about being a Gospel of justice. And that led me to move into the St. Thomas Housing Project in New Orleans. I'd always lived in the suburbs. Yeah, so talking about, you in, that, the, in the book you mentioned this this pivotal moment where you realize that 
our faith is more than just words and prayer and that there is this call to action, this social justice. And that was what you're talking about right now, moving out of the convent? Absolutely. And boy, that was with a big debate. See, we had a big debate in the community. What was our mission as nuns? And at first I was resistant to all this social justice stuff. I said, they're trying to get us to be social revolutionaries. We are nuns. We are not social workers. What are we going to do about all these poor people and all the policies and stuff? I believe you were charitable to the people around you, and you prayed for people. God took care of those big problems. See, I'd say things like, I'm apolitical, I am spiritual, I am above politics. Right. So, But then we went to a conference, and you never know when the Holy Spirit is going to zap you. And it was a line that Sister Mary Augusta Neal was talking to us about the gospel of Jesus and justice. And she said, here was a line that changed the spiritual trajectory of my life. And she said, Jesus preached good news to the poor. Well, I had really spiritualized that message, like, well, every hair of your head is numbered, like God is like a loving Abba, like a daddy. And she said, when you're poor, it's not God's will for some people to be poor and your children die before they fire. Good news for poor people is they have a right to resist their poverty and to seek what is rightfully theirs to have a dignified life. And I realized, I don't even know any poor people. I lived out in the suburbs in New Orleans. And that's what led me. I came from that conference and I moved then into the St. Thomas Housing Projects. And I talk about that experience and living among African-American people who had been my servants when I was growing up as mm. a young girl. Oh, really? And I learned, they teach me, they become my teachers. And then one day while I'm in that soil and learning about social justice, I get this invitation when I write a man on death row. I never dreamed he was going to be executed for a day. I thought I was only going to be writing letters. So yeah. when I'm writing, talking to college kids, I say, you better watch out for sneaky Jesus. Because I think I'm only going to be writing Sneaky Jesus, you said? <laughs> I mean, really, they got T-shirts printed now with sneaky Jesus on it. you got to watch. <laughs> you write letters, he writes back. Next thing you know, you are watching a, a witness at his electrocution, and you are never the same. It changes your whole well, life. Yeah. Sister Helen Prejean is our guest on the Busted Hale Show. We're talking about her brand new memoir from Random House called River of Fire, My Spiritual Journey. Would you say that um, once you did that accompanying someone to death row and witnessing the execution, uh, did you kind of look back and, and say, God has sort of brought me to this place? Was it looking back and go, oh boy, why was I just sitting there praying all that time? Did it seem like it was a completion? No, you know what? It's such a good word you're using. It was a fruition. All of that prayer and developing a deep prayer life all in my years as a sister, if I hadn't been in sisterhood, I never would have developed. Okay. Into it. Yeah. yeah, it's a fruition. I think of it as a flowering. And uh, I had the maturity when I was in the 40s because after I witnessed that execution and began to get out on the road and I was in media interviews, it's good that I was mature. But one of the integral spiritual things that happened for the day was when I came out of that execution chamber or threw up, I've never watched a human being deliberately killed like that before. And I thought of the American people because it was like a secret ritual behind prison walls. And I said, you know what? People are going to look at the news the next day. In Louisiana in the 80s, we killed eight people in eight and a half weeks. And people are going to say, well, look at the terrible crime. He killed two teenage kids. Then the state killed him. That's justice. And that was going to be the end of reflection. But I knew I'd been a witness 
both to the execution and with murder victims' families and their suffering, that I was going to be the witness to bring people close. And I thought of the part in the gospel where it said Jesus had compassion on the crowd because I said they haven't been there. I've been there. I know if we can bring people close to this, their hearts are good. And truthfully, that is what has happened over the last 30 years. I mean, we see the death penalty now being phased out. We see the Catholic Church growing. It's because people got an exposure in an incarnational way of what it really means to take a human being and to kill him. And imagine this, to tell the victim's family, now the way we're going to help you heal, you wait 15, 20 years, hope it won't be longer than that, but when we kill a person who killed your loved one, you're going to get to watch. You're going to get to sit in the front row. Wow. You're going to get to watch us kill the one who killed your loved one, and that's going to heal you and give you closure. As if. So you got to bring people close, though. And so that's why I was so glad about the film of Dead Man Walking. Sure. Came out right after the book. Why I'm, I'm glad about the opera of Dead Man Walking. Yeah, which I remember really talking to you about that. Yeah. And why I'm glad about writing this book, because yeah. it gives the spiritual unfolding from Catholic teaching and prayer, all the gifts the Catholic Church gives us, and to be a life church, to be for life. And why, so why, why do you think, Sister Ellen, you, you know better than, than most people. Why, why do you think there are so many people, and when I say that, I mean devout Catholics, probably people that are listening to the show right now who are thinking, she's wrong, this is uh, either going against tradition, or I don't believe this is right, or because I vote along with this party, i, I got to go with that. Why do you think there is... So what you just described when when you said that about the family and let's let's do this and wait 20 years and that sounds barbaric to me like some country from the medieval times would do that not like us and it it turns my stomach what, what do you think is is the big thing or what's the real like you and I learned when we're training for pastoral ministry there's a presenting issue like people say this but deep down there's something else why do you think there's so many that are no, still resistant you know to this people are good and people go with what they're exposed to and what they're not. Yeah, see? Yeah. And most people, and this was the way I lived my life as a Catholic, charitable to the people around me, you know, being prayerful, praying about the needs of the world and the suffering of the world. But I was totally unexposed to the way the criminal justice system works. Right. I was totally unexposed to the way race plays a part in the application of the death penalty. I didn't know anything. So when I go to talk to audiences, I just take them with me on my journey, and that's what River of Fire does. It takes you on a spiritual journey of coming to understanding, <clears throat> excuse me, a very slow learner. I was 40 before <laughs> I put the two together. So I can ta I'm patient because I understand. Oh, I understand okay. I was where you are. I, I was saying the big life issue are children. I mean, unborn babies are innocent. These people are guilty. They crossed over the line. Yeah. So it's only right that they pay for what they do until you descend deeply into the gospel of Jesus. And then you begin to realize how affected you are by culture. And because you say, well, it's the law. If it's the law, it must be the will of God in the land. I mean, you had ex-Attorney General Jeff Sessions recently quoting Romans 13, to yeah, say yeah. is to justify the separation of children from their parents at the border, claiming because if something is the law, the authority of God is behind it. They quote St. Paul saying, 
obey civil authority because that's the law of God. But not when the law is against the law of love, not when the law is separating children from parents, not when the law says it's okay to put a person in a cell for 20 years and take them out and kill them. You have to look at what the law is. But but, but also not, but also not slavery. when the law says that it's okay to commit abortion. They they conveniently <laughs> quote that, it's but don't apply it across the board. <laughs> no, it's it's that you see people go by their experience, see, and if you're never exposed to what happens to people in the criminal justice system, if you and the people you go to lunch with, the people you go to church with, the people you hang out with, are never people of color or people who are poor, you're always with people pretty much like you. It's not that I was bad when I didn't understand yeah. about racism yeah. or white privilege. Yeah. I just didn't. I wasn't exposed. Right. So we have to open ourselves, and that's the spirit who's stretching us. Expose yourself to another part of the truth. So when you hear Pope Francis calling Catholics that the church ought to be the field hospital where the suffering and wounded are. What does that mean? We have to take that gospel that we live with the full call of the gospel as lay people, as Christians, the call to holiness in baptism, and take it out to the suffering world and to be Jesus in the suffering world. When we start going to the edges where the suffering's taking place, and that I changed when I went into the St. Thomas Housing Projects. Mm. The people taught me, and I changed. And I'm just grateful to be awake. Grace wakes us up. When we're not awake, <laughs> I was saying all those things, too. Why don't those people get a job? Don't they know they got to educate their kids? Why do they litter so much? Why don't those people? Because I didn't understand what intergenerational poverty does to you in the, in the third, fourth, fifth generation. I didn't know. I just didn't understand. So my job... It's just to be a witness now. Just say, look, let me tell you what happened to me. Let me tell you how I used to understand things, and let me tell you how I changed. And it's an open invitation to you. We all have the Holy Spirit in us. We all have the invitation to live the gospel of Jesus, to love even our enemy, that challenge, to love even those who hurt us and not to seek hurt for hurt and pain for pain and revenge for those who hurt us. That's the gospel. I'm not making it up. Yeah. But how to live it. How to live it. So how, how can people, Sister Helen Prejean, how can those who are not a religious sister, who literally have experienced sitting there and watching someone be executed, how can people that maybe, even as you just described, have not had a lot of experience in their life with people of other dimensions of society or other races, how can we change our hearts or begin to understand as you have? Because you've experienced it up close. A lot of people have not. Well, first of all, you make sure you get in the company of people who can be witnesses to us to stretch us, yeah. bring us into different experiences, mm -hmm. okay? And the other thing is to keep studying the Scriptures to get a deeper understanding of the Scriptures and the Gospel of Jesus. And the other thing is, people who, like, never step in church, I hope they'll read my book, because the common road, as Pope John Twenty-Third in his encyclical, Pachman Terrace, pointed out, it's going to be the road of human rights, that there are inalienable human rights, as specified in the U.N. Declaration. And Pope John XXIII pointed out the U.N. Declaration of Universal Human Rights, Article 3, everyone has the right to life. No one should be deliberately killed, especially in a society where we have a way to incapacitate violent people, which are prisons. 
Everyone has a right to life and no one should be subjected to cruel and degrading punishment and torture. So I work with a lot of people who never step in church, but human rights they can understand. And we can all stand in that together, whether or not people say they have faith or not. But those of us who practice the faith of saying that we are followers of Jesus, I think have a special incentive to practice that kind of love that includes even the love of enemies, Mm. which means at least not deliberately killing them. (laughs) At the very least. The book is called River of Fire, My Spiritual Journey. Sister Helen Prejean, it's always so great to have you on the show. We hope to talk to you soon. Thank you. Great talking to you, Father Dave. Keep it up. Keep going. Thank you. So if you enjoyed that segment of the Busted Halo Show and find that our ministry is valuable, once again, I invite you to partner with us and become part of our Halo Repair crew of monthly donors. We've got great thank you gifts at whatever level you choose to support us at. Things like Busted Halo branded journals and blankets and cell phone chargers and headphones, all kinds of stuff. And if that's not enough, every single member of our Halo Repair crew will get exclusive content every month from me, Father Dave, that you can't get anywhere else just for you. So Check out all the details at bustedhalo.com slash join. And thank you so much for your support of our ministry.